Two Week Notice Podcast. Moved all my shit to my parents' basement and down to my road appointment. And I know these things, but I'm not sure when. I guess you call this progression. I left a real job and a girlfriend. Give it my soul. But I'm brave enough for all of this. Yo, yo, what up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thanks so much for listening. Come on. Here's the deal. You might hear an echo behind me. That is because I am not in the two-week notice podcast studios down in the Boston area. I'm up at my ski condo in New Hampshire, kid, getting my snowboarding in. And um, so you might hear voices out in the lobby. There's a fucking railroad track in the backyard. You might even hear a choo-choo train. You never know. All right, it's Valentine's Day. Maybe you'll hear people getting it on on the other side of the wall. You never know, people. Anything can happen here in New Hampshire. Live free or die, all right? Now, today, I spent all damn morning working on the podcast. Finally wrap it up. Uh, I was working on some other stuff, too, but I finally wrap it up. Afternoon, it was was about noontime. I'm like, all right, going to go snowboarding. And I reached into my bathroom bag. like You know, I have like a little travel pouch where I put all my toiletries in for when I travel. And um, I went to go grab something, dude. And I sliced the shit out of the tip of my middle finger on uh, like, you know, I have a razor to like, I like bit my head, you know? So it's like, but it's like the Mach 4 or whatever, brand new blade. It's my own damn fault. I don't have a cover on it. And I just like throw shit in there, you know? Typical fucking dude, just, what do I need? Throw it in the bag and figure it out later. Well, I paid the price today. I'm t- I just reached in. I wasn't even looking in the bag. I was just feeling around like an idiot. And it might sound like minor thing, but dude, I have been bleeding. It is now 9 p.m. I have been bleeding for nine hours. <laughs> what is it, your period? Get him some cranberry juice. No, <laughs> but like, it's nonstop. Like, I probably should get a couple of stitches, um, but fuck that. I'm not going to the emergency room. I'd rather fucking bleed out. <laughs> Anyway, happy Valentine's Day. All right, here's the deal. Today on the podcast, we have Casey Cavalier. Casey plays guitar and sings in The Wonder Years, who is an awesome band. And in addition to that, he's a record producer. He's also a podcaster. He has a really rad podcast. So we're promoting a couple of things here. One, The Wonder Years are on a full U.S. tour right now. This is, what, February 14th Um, through the end of March, pretty much. And if you are in the Boston area and plan on attending the show, I think it's March 22nd. I don't know. Look it up. I'll be there. Come find me. We'll drink a beer together. I'll buy you a beer. And I'll even have uh, some two-week notice podcast swag if you really want. I'll give you a fucking pin or a sticker or whatever. All right? In addition to that, they are playing the When We Were Young Festival in Vegas. So check them out if you go into that. That's in October. And in June, they're playing the Slam Dunk Festival over in the United Kingdom. So they're doing shit, and uh, I think they got a new record coming out at some point this year. So anyway, the other thing that he's plugging, Casey, is his podcast. It's called The Record Process. The Record Process is a podcast exploring the stories and creative process behind the making of records. So, I mean, this podcast, Two Week Notes Podcast, and the record process really should go hand in hand. And props to uh, Casey. I was really honored, to be honest. Like, he and I had never spoke before. He sent me a message on Instagram. Usually it's the other way around. I'm like, 
hunting people down. I'm like, you, come on the podcast. You can come on the podcast. So he hit me up being like, hey, I got this podcast. I like what you're doing with your show. We should collaborate and work together. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for hitting me up, you know. What do you want to do? He's like, well, how about I come on your show? Th- that's a good start. And I was like, sure, why not? Fuck yeah, dude. So here we are. We recorded this like November 1st or something. So it was a few months ago, but whatever. You know, I get backed up. I, I like to lock in the interviews, record them, and figure it out later. But then I get backed up sometimes. Casey, you're the man. I'm so happy you reached out to me. I look forward to seeing you in Boston with the Wonder Years. Check out the record process if you like my podcast. And I know we have some crossover fans. There are some fans of this show that will love the record process. Trust me. Check it out. Especially if you're interested in like the behind the scenes shit. Like I know some of you are. I, I, I can name names if I don't make me name names. Go check that shit out. All right. Uh, go give him some support. Give him five stars. Subscribe. You know, uh, he just premiered season two like a week ago. Well, go back and check out season one. Binge it. All right. Let's get to this. KC, you're the man. Thank you so much. Enjoy. Been on a steady fast retired, like we're this generation's Morgan's Spurlock, but we don't admit defeat. My body feels rejected. I can't say that I'm blaming. My heart keeps saying stay on. My lower back All right. Today on the podcast, we have Casey Cavalier, guitarist for the band the wonder years lead guitarist and backup vocals what's up dude oh what's up man also thanks for throwing that lead in there i have one if not maybe two other guitar players that are going to be a little salty and that'll help keep the bit going of lead guitar one lead guitar two lead guitar three that we get to play out in a band that has at least one if not maybe more than one too many guitar players so thank you for that hey i'm just speaking the facts baby come out i mean yeah uh, dude, thank you so much for doing this. This is super rad and an honor because you and your band, uh, when did you form? 2005? Yeah, I think it was like summer of 2005. Right after uh, we finished high school, or well, half of us finished high school, I guess. Well, everybody finished high school. I should clarify that. <laughs> Just uh, a, a year apart. The younger three, I guess, uh, myself, my drummer, and my bass player. Uh, after we finished high school, that was uh, summer of 2005. Yeah, got together, we were bored and, uh, you know, found Fuck like a, a common thread of the like pop punk adjacent genre. And we're like, eh, well, you can, you can write a quick song, have some fun. 16 years later, here we are. Here, and here we friggin' are, you know? <laughs> uh, the awesome. one thing that was like a, a total lighthearted, you know, jab at a bunch of things that we were enjoying. Uh, at that time that was taken uh, with uh, a half a grain of salt at that point uh, for a laugh. It's always, it's always the one that you don't expect. And this is why I still talk about whenever anybody asks any of these kind of like origin questions, uh, you know, about the band or whatever, I'm just like, you know what, just whatever you do, know that there is even maybe a small chance that that might follow you through not to be afraid of like saying things you know and be fear stricken to do anything but also like if you're gonna name a band i don't know maybe take more than five seconds to you know think it through not that i think we said it could have been much worse i think but you know everybody asks us about these like what's the great like what's the great tale behind the name and you know what is it's like I'm telling you, if I can set the stage, we took maybe 30 seconds to be like, I don't know. It was that. 
and it just stuck and we we're like we're gonna play maybe one show one song where we hop on friends gear and that'll be it so there wasn't much thought given to it up front <laughs> dude uh you and i just spoke for a bit before we hit record and i can already tell that we have a lot in common and one of those being that uh i think you myself included correct me if i'm wrong i think you overanalyze like everything or analyze like the shit out of everything sometimes overanalyze is that yeah. am i wrong and and no, i don't mean that are. disrespectful no but like i just like i'm watching you when you talk and i'm like dude like that's exactly my brain works the same way am i making any sense right now uh no crystal clear a hundred percent i not only have been told this multiple times throughout my life, but also um, in my older age. Yeah, man, I, I recognize it. And I feel like I've come to a really, I'll say healthy place with it, because that can certainly have an unhealthy end of the spectrum if you take it too far. And, uh, and it has, of course, but uh, I do love it. And I think for, I mean, this, you know, very quickly veering into almost a, more of a mental health conversation, but that's okay too. Sure. Uh, I think, uh, I think early on, I, I started to think of that over analytical nature in myself uh, as, you know, like a superpower that I was like seeing things and trying to connect all these little dots. And what I, what I found out and not overnight uh, through a series of just working through it, existing and seeing myself through uh, the eyes of other close friends and people that I interacted with and whose, you know, uh, opinions and perspectives I really trusted uh, found that ultimately what, you know, what you're trying to do is control things by overanalyzing, you know, and you're trying to be, you're trying to be a hyper boy scout and prepared for anything by thinking that you can think through every possible scenario sometimes. And I think it all goes back and that's where, you know, a lot of anxiety uh, can be derived from, I think, which is also something full, you know, full admittance. Uh, I think a lot more people then we'll verbalize it, deal with that, even if they don't necessarily know that's what they're dealing with. That's another bridge to come through where I was finally like, oh, that's that's actually what everybody is talking about when they say this. I just didn't realize it for a little while uh, at certain points in my life. And yeah, I think it all does stem down to your brain is on that hyper aware, hyper focused, hyper analytical plane but sometimes it, you know, it jumps tracks to tracks and it starts to try to connect all of those. And sometimes I can harness that. And I think I've gotten better and better at harnessing it. But yeah, I mean, my brain is running and I think that's why I'm a, a compulsive talker and love getting deep in the weeds on thought because it allows me to uh, think verbally with someone else. So I'm not just sparring with myself <laughs> in my head thinking about stuff, you know? It's stimulating. Right. And it's, uh, I think it's something that it is good to have a bit of self-awareness when it comes to that, to know when you're maybe taking it a bit too far or going into an unhealthy, like negative spiral kind of realm with it. And I think, and that's something that I, I am really happy about where I've landed at this point in my life, because I, I can look back and, and think about what these certain thought patterns and processes were like and how they probably 
presented themselves in person even 10 years ago uh, or 15 years ago. And I'm sure it was much different and probably far less productive, even though I thought it was productive, you know? So yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey, but dude, you're, uh, you're right on the money with it, man. There's a, there's a lot going on upstairs at any given point, but uh, it's, it's nice to be able to, to settle in once in a while and listen, you know? <laughs> well, I think, it's kind of one of those, like, it takes one to know one kind of things. So I can totally relate. And you got to, I mean, you said it better than I could. You got to keep yourself in check. And it's a it's a daily constant, for me anyway. I mean, you can speak for yourself, but I'm sure you can relate. For me, I have to constantly, consciously remind myself. And truthfully, doing this podcast, no bullshit, man. It has made me a better listener in my real life. When I first started interviewing people, man, I would go back and I took some old episodes down because I was such a shitty listener. I was just like, you know, just always interrupting. And, and it's not that I wasn't listening. I, it's just my personality. I get excited and I have a million things that I want to say and I want to hear everything as well. But if I don't say it in that moment, I'll forget kind of thing. And But uh, after hearing my voice enough, I was like, Dana, shut the fuck up. And now I, I say that like just out in the real world, whether I'm at work or talking to my parents or a friend, whatever it might be. I'm, it's it's definitely um, a daily thing that I have to continue to practice and remind myself. Does that make any fucking sense, dude? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, uh, you know, where it's, it's all a work in progress, right? I mean, it's, uh, I think that's the fact that just like you said, it, that you can now in a healthy way, not in like a negative way, self critique and acknowledge that and look at those episodes, I would have probably told you to leave them up because I think they're a good representation of it. However, I totally understand the curation of one's, you know, art and, um, and output, obviously, as a musician, right? I'm uh, embarrassed, dude. Like, uh, some of them, I wish I, I'm like, I wish I could have like a couple of them back. Like, I'm like, I wish I could, if I interviewed that person now, it would be a million times better. But um, I get, dude, I'm going to like, just change topic real quick. Go for it. You were, you just played fest in Florida. Oh yeah. I can't believe it happened. Tell me about it. I love, I love a fest, man. So much fun. Well, so we were, uh, we were super honored uh, to do it in the entire career of the band. We have never had the pleasure of being a part of Fest officially, uh, just spectators uh, from afar, honestly, and, and quite, and actually not even that in the, uh, in the truest, um, most literal sense, just because typically we've always been on tour or there's been a reason why, you know, uh, we, you know, we can't make the trek and this year you know with well last year slash this year uh all the stars aligned and the offer came in and we said this is we've got to do it we've got to we've got to build it in and make it happen um whatever it is because it's truthfully been a thing that uh that has been on our uh both collective and individual bucket lists as far as things that are really important to uh our world of music you know and have become these kind of institutions, you know, and uh, that have such an incredibly great shared value set and uh, an ethos in the community in, in which we are proud to be a part of. And yeah, I mean, the clouds quite literally parted. Uh, we got down there, uh, you know, were you, so I, uh, outside. Were you at Bo Diddley outside? We were at Bo Diddley. Yeah. So it was nice. honestly a beautiful night. It was crazy. It looked and felt nothing like Florida 
uh, uh, it was the humidity had broken and the clouds had kind of gone away. It was honestly a picture perfect night. Um, yeah, us and then uh, Frank was Frank Turner is on the same stage. Such a cool experience, you know because of the current state of trying to um, play it much safer and a lot of moving parts, we didn't get to stay uh, for the entire weekend to be full on spectators of so many other incredible fucking bands, many of whom uh, we're honored to be friends with a few of whom we were actually was the first time we saw since the pandemic hit and we were on tour with Spanish love songs and pool kids. And those were, I'm not joking. We pulled up and Dylan from Spanish love songs and Andy and Aya from pool kit were the first two people that we saw. And it was just like, Holy shit, this That's is beautiful. crazy. You know? Um, and wow. it was kind of came full circle uh, back to that and had a, uh, you know, a couple great jokes about, Hey, after this, maybe you just want to finish up the last week that we didn't get to do, <laughs> um, Dude, you know, do uh, it. Yeah, but uh, so it, it was awesome. I mean, um, such a pleasure and such a cool little uh, little tradition that. Did, uh, did you hit a? Uh, there's an arcade with like a bunch of pinball machines. It like somewhere in that. Pieball did it like three years ago. Uh, it we had a blast, dude. And like, I just my favorite things sometimes are just like finding a ping pong table or like a pinball machine or did you get to do anything you know just like like uh, i guess it's weird times now with covid and shit you can't really you know, it was yeah. yeah and uh and like i said that's that was kind of the strain it's like i'll take it i'll i'll 100 take it um you know in no way going to like start the because i'm sure that will all come back people being very like judgmental and nitpicky about everything in our world i mean it already has kind of happened unfortunately with uh you know venues and people um you're right uh you know sad to say but uh but for the most part i think we are just like hey we are happy that we and everybody around us and putting on that fest found a way to make it happen everybody found a way to be there and be there in good health and try to take care of one another. So, uh, that was pretty much our, it was like, we got there, executed our goal. And, uh, and beyond that, you know, we were, uh, we had to kind of like turn around and come back home because, uh, you know, logistical stuff, but yep. no, so we didn't, we didn't get to live the full fest experience. Unfortunately. It's okay. You were there at Piebald. We got, we got an offer and we were supposed to play, right before or right after eve six which like i, I think they ended up dropping off last yeah. minute but i don't know like i just remember we got the offer and uh one of the dudes was like eve six is still around i was like i don't know and then uh i was just like oh i like because it it's on now like i'm down i'm out i'm down for whatever you know but unfortunately we couldn't do it uh but i don't know it's just weird times man so we just opened for newfound glory up in buffalo um and they were like super like smart about everything like you know uh like just they all like pretty much had hand sanitizer on them the mask they they stayed in their bubble and and uh i'll put it this way i just talked to someone you you're very familiar with i believe you toured with them many times uh dan o'connor from four years strong i saw that yeah absolutely so i just spoke with him and uh, he said it best it's all about mitigating the risk at this point right like like they were supposed to go out and do slam dunk festival but mm-hmm. they were like why are we gonna go over to do this wicked awesome festival but like it could we have this whole full u.s tour right afterwards right. it's not 
worth it. It's not worth the risk, right? And we were, uh, I mean, we were in the same boat. We had been so looking forward to Slam Dunk as well. And it- Oh, were you on there too? Yeah, and it absolutely, oh. I mean, we had plans to do it, uh, full disclosure. Um, and it absolutely gutted us, you know, to have to make the same decision. You know, there were a number of factors, one of which was, you know, and I'm sure Dan will say the same thing. He's got a beautiful family, um, you know, a couple of kids and everything. And and for so many people, I think uh, that has to be rem remembered as well, that, uh, you know, these bands, it's not just them and whether or not they're, um, you know, up for the risk of going out there. It's like they have to come home to, uh, you know, different family dynamics, right? Different people that live with in generational households or that live with, you know, children that are too young, that can't be vaccinated and, and, and things like that. And, and all that has to get taken into consideration. I mean, you know, my, my dad was, uh, actually, uh, battling prostate cancer, right. As we were, um, you know, coming back from, uh, this, this summer actually, but, you know, before all of that, and, you know, that played a, a factor into, you know, making the decision and logistics and whether we could or not. And I knew I'd have to, you know, be helping out with that. And I was like, well, I don't want to, you know, risk that, um, that end of things like right now at such a, such a tough time. And you just, we just have to be understanding and every band is a family in their own way. And every family has to make decisions about, how they keep the house safe, how they keep each other safe. And it, it gets tougher and tougher, the larger um, the decisions get to be, and especially with international travel or even for us domestic travel, you know, um, Florida, full, you know, in full candor has not had the best, most glowing reputation throughout the pandemic as a state. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm lumping everybody that was at Fest in with that Florida, because there are a lot of people travel from out of state. Sure. Um, no, but those are those are all things that you have to weigh. And I think what you're seeing now is people realizing that uh, there will always be, and for quite some time, probably, truth be told, some risk in getting back into live music, going to shows, playing shows, traveling. And all you can do is, yeah, much like Dan said, right? You uh, find where you're comfortable as a band and where you feel good about what you can do because you can't control everything. Like we said, no matter how much you think about it <laughs> um, and, and overanalyze it, you can't control every factor that's going to present itself. All you can do is say, Hey, this could, these things could happen. And if we step out on the tour or accept the show, then we have to accept a certain amount of risk that comes along with that and say, Hey, we're going to try our hardest to negate, all of the all of the potential you know negative outcomes but uh nobody can actually do that and i think that's what the last you know year and a half plus has kind of taught everybody is that there's there's no guarantees unfortunately and you know uh i'll, I'll leave it at we live in a fucking insane time uh <laughs> of course but you know so if you're not aware of that then um I'm not sure what you're doing or where you've been. Um, but yeah. you know, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, that's it. So it's, yeah, we're in that same boat. And I think every band's going to keep making that decision. Uh, and that decision will change as the information changes, you know? Totally. There are things you can control and there are things you cannot control. And ideally you just focus on the things that you can control easier said than done, of course, but it's funny, you know, 
you mentioned that we live in a fucked up time, which is accurate. But I also, I don't know, like, I think about weird shit. For example, like, I had my appendix out when I was 19, right? Uh, if that was like 200 years ago, I would have died when I was like 19, right? Or 300 years ago, right? I, like, they didn't have that. Yeah. I, as far as I know, I, I didn't really do the research, but there's no way they were taking out appendixes, like, for all of human existence. Right? right. So, or maybe I'm just, like, overly positive to a point where it's annoying at times. That's possible. But, uh, and I'm also super spoiled and super lucky. You know, I'm very grateful, like, uh, you know, great parents and, you know, um, yeah, I, I definitely um, could have it much worse. But I yeah. I do often think, I'm like, eh, this is a couple of years. I'm in overtime right now. Like, if this was a couple of hundred years ago, I, I'd be dead, like, 20 years ago, almost. And you know what? What a great way to put it all in perspective to have some sort of health event, especially when you're younger. Cause I think, you know, when we were all younger, we kind of just assumed we were immortal. I think that's, that comes along with youth. You don't have a concept of your mortality formed yet. Totally. Um, but, uh, and sometimes it takes that right. Uh, for people at a younger age in their twenties or early thirties. Right. Uh, but I think what you're describing is a beautifully, valid and really somewhat helpful alternative to an otherwise very glim outlook on the world. Actually, there's a philosopher, um, Steven Pinker, who's like philosopher, like psychologist, actually like behavioral psychologist. He wrote a book called Better Angels of Our Nature. It's quite a hefty one. It's, you know, but the overarching idea is kind of saying, posing the question, is humanity getting better or worse uh, as it as time has gone on right and i love it because you know they they do so much statistics of how violent humanity has been you know and i think we don't have a concept of it uh, and especially now you can look on the internet social media the news cycle whatever it presents all of the worst aspects of things that are happening globally to us uh on a minute by minute basis but um you know what when you really kind of break it down into data sets you know across humanity and what it actually civilizations looked like uh i think there was an interview i want to for some reason i want to say it may have been barack obama talking about if you could come back and exist if you could you know be reborn at any period in time what would you choose and you know unequivocally it is right now mm -hmm. for Whoever you are, this is probably, even though it might not look that way in terms of a lot of the injustices, both socially, politically, from a humanitarian standpoint, especially with what the last year and a half has thrown at us. But decidedly, it's like a hundred years ago. Exactly. Even worse, you know, way worse. Uh, if you were, whether you're talking about like minorities or any groups that have been in any way, you know, victimized throughout the course. It's just like there, that is unfortunately still something that definitely exists and has to be acknowledged. And that doesn't mean you just become complacent with the status quo, but yeah, you gotta, you know, you have to realize that even as bad as it is, it has been worse and that progress has been made even when it still seems horrific, you know? And, and I think that is a really, really solid thing. I like to say actually this recently, there's a great, great book I'm in the middle of 
called Atomic Habits. And the idea, one of it is, is, or like extrapolating it from the book is kind of, instead of just diagnosing and judging where you are from your progress level, uh, if you've met this goal, what milestone you're at, whatever, um, instead of taking one snapshot of it, uh, judging yourself on the trajectory of how quickly you're moving, progressing and evolving. And are you moving forward towards, towards a goal maybe, but, or ultimately are you developing a system that's refining itself more and more and more? And that that's a way better substitute for any given metric or any given, um, bot, you know, and I think that's kind of where it is. It's like, are we in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years progressing to meet a lot of these challenges and uh, have a lot of these things come to the surface? Yeah. And it's going to hurt, you know, just like when a wound's healing, just like all of those things, it's not going to be pretty but it's happening so, so much quicker and things are coming up so, so rapidly that it, it, it can be overwhelming, you know, but I'd like to think of it and look at it as that we are at a time when all of those things are coming to the surface and, and very rapidly. So our trajectory towards a lot of that is, um, is how I'd like to hopefully judge where we're at and where we're going, you know, you're a smart dude, man. Uh, and <laughs> It's that kind of forward thinking that it would be nice if everyone had that. Um, I mean, I try. I'm certainly not perfect. But, you know, when you, like, look back at a time, maybe it was a special time in your life, but you didn't realize it was, like, special until, like, later on. Then you reflected back and you're like, wow, I didn't know how good I had it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This is just where my head is at anyway. I think that's a factor. But I also think, dude, like, I'm not smart enough to articulate this properly, but I'm going to try. I love the way you're thinking and what you said, but at the same time, and I'm a positive guy, but as a realist, right? Like if you look at like the timeline of, of earth, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I'm in over my head already. You look at like the timeline of earth, as far as we know anyway, which, what the fuck do we even know? We think we know, what do we know? Right. Okay. We're like, you know, we're like nothing like humans are like nothing dude like you know so uh, i do think that we definitely we're always making progress and they just and it was way worse like in the past we just didn't have the cell phone cameras to expose it all and that's a positive thing as much as it is hurtful to for these people who have been through these horrific uh, i don't know if we're talking hate crimes and stuff like that right but like that shit's been happening, dude, forever. Like slavery, like all this stuff is like horrific, dude. You, that's not how you treat people. And we've come a long way. But if you like really zoom out, dude, like, I don't know, like, dude, like sharks have been here for like a billion years or some shit. I don't know. Is it a billion? I don't know. You're smarter than me. Help me out here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so I, I'm, I'm totally picking up. And that doesn't mean that it uh, that it's not gruesome. Right. And also, I think, you know, 
trying to and uh, in full disclosure abiding by you know the kind of ideas that i just put forth in terms of that it's like that's all my better days but that doesn't mean that i don't you know have the like uh, the like that bit the bit of like nihilism slip in and out and around uh and in some ways if you zoom out and think about how small and inconsequential in like a universal um perspective from like a at an at an atomic level uh all those things that also is, I think it depends on how you look at that. You can take a completely nihilistic approach to none of this matters. Why do anything? Or you mm. can say, hey, the things that I'm stressing about or overanalyzing, let me reframe and really think about how small that thing to me and how small I am then in turn am. Okay, maybe I, sh maybe I shouldn't hold that so closely and put so much energy towards that, you know? So you just it, described my inner monologue, like I'll freak out over these little things and like stress out about like all these little things. And I'm like, who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? A couple of minutes later, I'm like, does anything really matter? You know? And I used to think, and, and this is a big thing too, and a big theme in my life now, and especially working with other artists and, and clients and for that matter even with wonder years and and anything i do creatively i i had serious perfection tendis, tendencies that stopped me dead in my tracks from shipping a lot of work not to say that all of any of it was good but so much stuff that and i know i'm so decidedly not alone when i paint this picture of myself at home in a bedroom on tour mobile setup just making independent work right but you overanalyze and think well how does it stack up to this is it really that good and then you let it sit around for a little bit you don't finish it and then when you come back to it you're like oh, i kind of thought it was better like you know now i don't really know where to go with it but it ends up on the cutting room floor because you are ultimately afraid to let it run its course and afraid of any uh, negative feedback. But in that same regard, you never, and this is like a, from a, in terms of like behavioral psychology, there's a ton uh, of research that's so interesting about how we as humans process things and like, and respond to them like emotionally because we're attached to things. Uh, you never account for the other side of like, well, what about all the positive fucking feedback that you could have gotten, right? What about all the dudes that you you just mentioned we were talking before this have had on the show, you know, that showed up and had a kind word and really dug their time and sharing the space with you. Uh, well, if you were too worried about, hey, I don't know, it's not might not sound smarter. What if like this episode ends up being dumb or I say something you know, idiotic, right? It's like, well, you, then you just stopped yourself from getting to that point. So it's all about a framing, right? And, and ultimately kind of about a mindset that you're able to show up with and then figuring out more than anything, how to keep showing up and strengthening that mindset to show up every day in all of these different scenarios. So it's like, it, you can look at that and take it both ways, but yeah, it's like, that's for me so long where I was like, fuck the perfection. Like, and I wish like people are like, well, what would you tell yourself? Like, if you go back, it's like, I would just be like, just go let shit go. Just let it go. It's none of it is as big as you. Nobody else cares as much as you care about this little thing in this moment. And guess what? They might care a whole lot more about something else that's not even on your radar right now. Yeah. You know, good, bad, ugly. So just get it out there, get feedback, get data points on it for yourself. And that, I mean, that it's kind of what you're saying exactly. It's not holding on to it too tight. Right? Yeah, you, you said that brilliantly. And, you know, like 
I definitely, I do consider this a gift. I, I can, I can say confidently that I am overall like a really positive dude. Like uh, I choose to hang on to the, the, the positive feedback I've got from maybe people who have been on the podcast or, or other jobs I've had, because I know in my heart and in my work ethic that I'm giving it my all. And on top of that, I know I'm a good dude to work with. Like I'll, I'll laugh with you if, if whatever, if I'm bartending, we could be, I mean, I have my days, but I might be having the worst day at the bar ever. I'll still find a way to like laugh or make other people laugh or just like this fucking sucks, doesn't it? But we still laughing about it and just like getting through it together. It's like that camaraderie, you know what I'm saying? But I certainly, I definitely do catastrophize at times as well. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a constant, it's a tough dance. It's a constant effort for sure to try to like stay positive. I mean, that's, that's every, everybody. And that's, what's interesting about humans, right? <laughs> because like, I get, there are some other species that are like emotional as well, but I don't know, you look at like fucking ants or something, dude, they just got a job to do and they do it. And that's it. Like they don't give a fuck, man. They're dead or look, the, the next guy's dead. I don't think they give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? If, if there's a, if, if there's a group of ants, right. And like the ant next to say, I'm an ant and you're an ant. And like, I get stepped on, but you don't, you're going to like, look at me and stop and cry. Probably not. You're just going to keep moving forward. Right, dude. And there are so many lessons to be, I mean, I, I love that. And in that way, it's like, you know, it is both a strength and a weakness and we can like, I mean, debating where like the emotional range of humans has come to and how, whether that's like a, a strength adaptation or ultimately a weakness or both it is super interesting when you look at all other uh, species in the way they interact and the way they thrive and survive and what they're built for. And I think we were in that way, you know, are built to be communicative. And if you look at it as a strength, it is that we are able to share in things like loss and or, you know, experience joy or whatever that are motivating factors to keep us surviving. And fucking build a rocket ship and go to outer space, dude. Like, right. you know, and like, you know what I mean? like survival mechanism, you know, that says, okay, they, you know, will we be able to ascend? I mean, one would hope that we were able to ascend and not need to ascend as quickly from this planet, you know, but uh, not every species gets it right. Cause there's a lot of them that still aren't around, you know, I don't know, but yeah, man, I, I think uh, having that, that kind of thought process is really, is really interesting and in applying it to what we do, but I, everybody has, their strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's the difference in what you mentioned, right? You can show up as a positive person, but you know, maybe not every day. I think sometimes you get really backed into a corner uh, mm. and like, man, I just, I don't stack up to how this person is, you know, is killing it at what they're doing, you know, and I'm, I'm trying so hard. It's like, yeah, but I truly believe that everybody is different and this kind of sounds like a bunch of like you know can can tend to sound like a little bit of hot air like motivational like tony robbins type shit. but there's a lot of truth in the idea that i think finding what you're passionate about as a person and finding your why 
will help you inform and hopefully get, you know, through a lot of that, but also it's great, you know, other people around you and mentorship people to be like, dude, you're like the most positive person. And I love being around you because you always make me feel better about myself if I'm having a shitty day, right? You could just write that off and be like, ah, thanks. That's nice. Whatever. Like my day is still awful. Or you could realize that that is your superpower and where you can show up and be in, you know, and what someone else who might have the exact same, you know, skill set and might look exactly the same on paper, right? If you're talking like job interviews, how candidates stack up and shit, but one person gets the job and one person doesn't, right? And a lot of that might just be based off of how they made the person feel in the interview, whether it was a gut instinct, it is this unspoken, intangible kind of interaction that I think is the way is the way that we've kind of ascended. And everybody has that. I think some people just don't find it or some people because of their upbringing or environmental factors, nature, nurture, uh, get it twisted about like, hey, this thing that they actually that could have awakened in them was suppressed because of where they were at, you know, in childhood or their expectations that were put on them. So I think that's a really interesting thing too, to, to just kind of understand that, you know, that is very powerful, even though, you know, we don't do it the same way as, as everybody else. Very powerful. When in doubt, just follow your gut, trust your intuition. And, you know, uh, I mentioned to you offline that, I worked the corporate world for a, a long time and you mentioned like interviews. I was that guy interviewing people. I mean, I, I've done over a thousand interviews easy in my time. And I pretty much, I would say there was maybe like a 15%, 10 to 15% like gray area where I was never quite sure, but uh, like almost nine times out of 10, dude, I knew as soon as I started talking to this person that I was going to hire them or if I was not going to hire them, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I have standard questions that I have to ask, right? You know, there could be certain red flags. Yes. I just got out of jail and I murdered somebody. Obviously that silly example. You just know, you feel it, you know, that's right. It's whether between... or not it's right or wrong. It's what I was looking for. And I just knew, yeah, this person. And whenever I, most times if I doubted that and I gave the person a chance, maybe I was desperate and I had no other applicant. It was the best applicant I had, but you know, and I just was like, all right, fine. I don't know what else to do. I'll give them a fucking chance. They never worked out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Dude? Great like, yeah, I saw that one coming, <laughs> you know? It's like a great jazz soloist. It's like the brilliance is not necessarily in how many notes they can play in the first like two or three measures of a solo section. The brilliance is how they use the space um and you know and what's not said and what's kind of in between the lines and in that same way you're just like dude it's it boils down to i love uh, especially as an over analytical person and someone that finds the way humans interact and communicate so fascinating and how some people are just inherently so good at it even though they've had they've never had any like formal training right and in that way you as someone that interviews you get used to that you understand body language posture the way they move the way they speak confidently on a topic or the way they can transition and even for you control a conversation and steer it to their strengths and that might be a thing that's like Maybe that's not in any of their job qualifications, but they're just like, well, I now trust this person to go out on the floor because I know that they can take this somewhat seemingly like pressure intense conversation 
and handle it really well and really eloquently. So like I said, it's that that makes total sense that your intuition, you just, you kind of know some of the, some of these things, but it's really, really true. Yeah. You, you kind of know it when you see it, right? Yeah. I'll, and I'll, I'll take will over skill all day. You know what I mean? You can train skill for the most part, but you know, looking back, I will say eventually, again, I, you know, I did this for years. Eventually I just, when I first started interviewing, like when I was like, you know, 18 years old when I first became like in a management role and I used to hire people because I would, I would listen, I had a, like more of a heart and I couldn't separate the business. I would like sit down with someone who like really needed the job and like, I, I didn't put the business first, you know, and I, I learned that the hard way. And I know that's cold, but at the same time, it's like, there is a job to do, you know, I guess relatively quickly, a couple of years, maybe I, I was just like, no, like, because people take advantage of that too. If you, you know what I mean? I let people walk on any new manager. If you're an 18 year, right. You're, you're a kid. You just want like people to like you still. That's like more important to you than like anything else in the world at that time in your life for a lot of people. And for me, it was, you know, I just wanted like to be accepted into the world by people still. Does that make sense? So I just like, one I of the just, motivating factors for most people, right? Yeah. You can only let people walk all over you so much before you just like, all right, I've been around the block before you're a bullshitter. You know what I mean? No, I totally. And I think what you like, if I'm, if I'm like hearing it correctly, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like feeling like what you're, what you're saying really in a lot of ways boils down to finding your own authenticity and confidence in that, you know, and knowing that, that what you have, it's like, this is my, this is my brand. It's, it's valuable. It's relevant. Maybe not to you, but I know that it is me and I would rather trust me being me in this moment. And that's not to be stubborn and say that, you know, there's no, no room for improvement on that said brand or, or skill set. But um, it's those people that probably walked into that interview like that. And you, that's what you picked up on. And that's what people probably listening to this podcast right now pick up on with you. They're just like, this is someone that is speaking honestly and candidly. And I don't feel like I'm trying to get sold a show about something, you know, I'm, I'm just there and being a part of it. And, ultimately that's where you get the best outcomes and the most interaction with people and the most fulfilling interaction are when people actually feel like they know someone. I mean, we're talking in the music world. This is what I talk about with so many artists when I do like coaching and try to like help them understand. It's not me being like, Hey man, here's what you really need to do. Like the graphic design on this. And then like, you should really run this promotion and you should really, uh, you know, like this artwork doesn't speak, you know, it's just like, like buzz marketing where it's just like, well, it needs to be sexier and it needs to be, you know, whatever. It's like, no, what it, what really needs to do before you get to any of that is start finding out where you are at a core and at your most honest and what sets you apart and, and who you are and not, and instead of being afraid of that and trying to fit into another mold based on the inspirations that you're drawing from finding that actual lane that nobody else is doing in that way. And then having all of the things that you put out into the world, your songs, the artwork, everything that accompanies the vision display that because in that way, it's like, you'll never, you'll never lose because even if someone doesn't dig it, you know, that it was the intended thing. And if they do, which they probably are more likely to when it finds the right people that are into it, they're going to, 
be that much more invested in it because they know it's real, you know? Um, and I think this generation, especially if you look at social media, everything is just transparency, authenticity. They don't want what a lot of other generations, if you look at like the glam rock, hair metal, like everything like that, it was all about the theatrics. It was all about like the veil of secrecy and the mystique of everything. And I think you're seeing, you know, a serious like counterculture shift to a lot of that. And it's because the fact that uh, authenticity kind of speaks in all vibes. If we're talking about music or if we're talking about a job interview or if we're talking about this podcast, right? People that listen to it and that really enjoy it, love it because they're just like, dude, he's awesome. A, like he has great guests, but B, like I just love, he, he sounds like me. Like when he says that thing, it's like, I totally get it because I feel that same way. It's like you and I could tell right off the jump that we were, uh, you know, similar in, in a lot of ways. And that never would have happened if we came into a conversation all kind of like closed off and trying to be who we thought the other person wanted to show up in that way, you know? So it's, it's, it's really true, man. Yeah. Yeah. That was really well said. I mean, in some uh, cases, I think there are people, uh, just to play a little devil's advocate or just to, I think there is another category of people who maybe it's a musician or someone, just pretend I had whatever, Paul McCartney on here or something. Like, the guy has been through so much and has had so many people try to take advantage of him and take advantage of him. You got to have a certain wall up, obviously, like you have to like have that defense and that can be hard to break down for someone who's been yeah. through like a lot of shit. And I've had maybe a guest or two where not in a bad way. I just could tell like maybe more going through the motions, not talking like you and I, and that's okay. I love, I love those conversations too. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but, and I, and I am aware of the fact that like, yeah, like this might just like, he, this person doesn't fucking know me. I mean, you don't know me, you know, like yeah. this is the first time this, I mean, we've been texting and stuff and that's been cool, but this is our first time really chatting, you know? So, but it is cool to open up like this. And uh, wait, how much weed do you smoke? <laughs> do you smoke weed? Uh, you know, what's funny. Uh, not so much anymore. I mean, I'd be lying if I said uh, I'd never inhaled once or twice, but like, it's a thing that I found. I, I in no way, I in no way knock it. Some of my like closest friends uh, smoke uh, an almost immeasurable amount. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and immeasurable. by Yeah. And I've been you know, there. Yeah. And uh, I um, I think it's really incredible. I mean, just on that on that regard, what is happening now? So I was just, you know, just out in California for about a month. And, you know, that was like one of the first you know, places where, and, and like the West coast where like mm -hmm. recreational uh, dispensaries and things like that showed up. And now you're seeing it in the East, all over the East coast and yeah, Massachusetts, you know, baby, come around. Right, right. There you go. I think it's great that it's fine for a number of reasons. Right. I mean, we, you know, we, we could go down the whole, like, you know, um, sociopolitical, like why destigmatizing it, decriminalizing it is ultimately a good thing, in my opinion, uh, for a lot of for a lot of systemic issues that have been extremely prevalent, right. But uh, nobody should uh, be spending like 10 years in jail, because they want wow. some, uh, you know what I mean, that kind of that kind of stuff just to like, and um, dude, you, know. you and I are sitting here. Cheers, by the way. Yes, we're, we're, we're having a, a Miller Lite, right? which but like why is this you know okay and 
you know, weed right. isn't doesn't make sense to me. I don't. I, even, I, I used to be a super pothead. These days, not so much. I I recently got it like back. I, I've been. I don't like smoking. It like bothers my throat and shit. Um, and also like I don't know. I used to like smoke a joint like on the way to work. I'm talking like when I was like, you know, eighteen. Probably when I was a manager. Maybe that was my problem. No, <laughs> but uh, no, but like. Now, like, like I'll take like a couple puffs and I'm like done. But I did start eating weed recently, which is pretty nice. I really enjoy that. My mom like makes like pistachio like weed cake, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the best thing in the world, dude. I, and I, what like I mean, I sound uh, sound like an old head right now, but like what they are doing with weed and the like consumables market is downright fucking unreal and like i said it's like i'm not i'm not heavily into it but every time you know i hang with people or out on the road and i'm just like oh my god they're doing that now you know but i and honestly like fully i i know so many people myself included who um you know we have uh friends of ours that started a company called kinslips that's based out and uh was based out in washington now they're in the bay area and i love it it's a great i mean if you're if you're out there or you know, like really anywhere you should you should look that up it's just like sublingual like kind of breath strips but they do like non-psychoactive stuff they do you know, low dose uh thc stuff does it uh, come in like the little um little slidey metal tins yeah dude at furnace fest some dude, I got tipped. Someone tipped me mushrooms, <laughs> the like grinded up mushrooms and like capsules. And then somebody also tipped me what you're talking about. I don't know if it was the same brand, but it was like the same. Very similar. There's got, I mean, there's yeah. got to be a bunch of, uh, you know, I'm sure a it's bunch a thing of you like put under your tongue, like almost like a Listerine strip. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. so they've been, and so it was interesting. And actually, um, a friend of ours that has been so heavily at the core of like from the startup, like venture capital phase all the way through till now has been involved in it. And he was, at, you know, honestly, like touring with us for quite a bit when he was just first starting that venture and getting into it. And, uh, but I mean, so, you know, obviously it goes without saying that there's, you know, a ton of money to be made. So that's, there's a lot of lore in that regard. But I think that I have seen in the same way that I've seen people enjoy drinking responsibly, <laughs> right? Uh, and irresponsibly. The same goes for um, the same goes for marijuana, right? The same goes for any of those products. But I will say, I think the science is still progressing. There's every day new research, all that, all that good stuff, right? I, I again am in no way a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I have not done the research. I've read plenty of articles in that I think it is not nearly as demonized and harmful as it once was thought to be or cast as being. And I, all I can speak to are my are my experiences with it and a lot of the CBD related stuff and people that I know that have trouble sleeping, have anxiety, have had really positive interactions with, uh, with the right thing, especially now where you're not just like, you know, you're not at a Grateful Dead concert getting handed something that's laced with like 7,000 things. Like if it's, you know, if you know what you're getting and it's responsibly sourced and made, like, I think it's, you know, uh, this is not a PSA telling anybody to smoke weed, but I, I think, <laughs> um, I think it's not, uh, you know, I think there's, there's enough research at this point out there for people to be like, okay, cool. So maybe like this person that, uh, that I know that has used marijuana once in their life, maybe they are not a criminal, <laughs> uh, 
uh, maybe maybe I should reframe that as like bad person in my brain. You know, I, I hope that that's at least where we're moving towards on that regard. So, you know, that's got to be the worst, right? Imagine if like whatever you were like in jail because you were smoking a lot or you had a pound of weed on you and you got caught and then but now it's like you know decriminalized or not or it's legal in some state like massachusetts i can go to the fucking store right now well it's probably closed now well i know i can go to the store right now uh, like it's 10 i got probably this new store is opening up all the time i have like two in my city and then i'm right next to salem massachusetts there's like two or three more so i have like five that i know of I can just go right now and buy weed, but there's people in jail for, yeah, it's fucked up, man. It's, it's uh, up how do you the, handle that? I, you know, I, there are people out there trying to change it. I would give a quick shout out to, uh, an organization called the last prisoner project. Anybody that's listening that doesn't know about it, look it up. I've got some people that are great people that are involved with that really? and try, trying to change that truly. So I, I would, uh, I would implore anybody if they're interested to look into that. And there's a, a bunch of other organizations obviously doing, doing say, great. the last prisoner. So we said prisoner project yeah oh man yeah look it up on instagram or you know obviously if you google it you'll you'll see it but um yeah dude and, and i love seeing that as well you know not just as like uh just if for you know uh, where i land on most things is to each your own just we like don't hurt anybody else if what you're doing is negatively affecting and harming someone directly Yes. And you see that or know that and still choose to do it. I think that's, that's fucked up. I think that's, you know, you can't say why I could say it's like, Hey, what you're doing is really bad. Do I know? Not unless I've dedicated my life to knowing everything about that one thing, you know, necessarily, I can give you a pretty good educated guess, right? I can say, Hey man, by you doing that, statistically speaking, like three other people will actually be fucked in this way. And like, I'd like you to just take a look at it. And then if you choose to ignore or whatever, it's like, that's when I think it starts to be a bigger issue. I'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives, how to smoke weed, not smoke weed. <laughs> no, just, you're good, just, man. Yeah. You're still overthinking stuff. You should smoke some weed and chill out, man. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but in all seriousness, man, uh, when I went to Europe, uh, I told you about my Europe trip. I think it was before we hit record. The first time I noticed someone, you know, it was Germany. Uh, I can't remember that town. Damn it. I spent a few days there. It was beautiful. It's like Southern Germany. Um, it'll come to me, but regardless, I was like at a bar or walking into a bar and I noticed a dude come out of a bar, just like with a, a couple dudes with bottles in their hands and just walking down the street, drinking beers. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, I had never, aside from like Las Vegas, I hadn't seen anything right. like that. In Las Vegas, that's a different animal. It doesn't count, right? And so I go in and I'm chilling and start talking to the bartender. I was just like, dude, you you can just walk around, and drink beers here? He goes, yeah, just don't be an asshole. It, it, like, ding, ding, ding. It's that simple. Just don't be a fucking asshole. Pretty the much reason it's illegal here is because people have been fucking assholes. Smashing bottles and, you know, whatever people do. Right. Uh, yeah, just just be cool, fool. Just chill. Just just, just don't be an asshole. That's and isn't that crazy? I mean, I I, <laughs> I look at it as um, I think a great example of this is so we like as a band, one of the first places we went to was the UK. Um, anywhere outside, actually, like I think that was the longest run where we did like a week of shows in the UK, and 
when you see when you step outside of your comfort zone and then and you've only seen things and grown up and things are one way the drinking age 21 you know in pennsylvania and most of this country right i think the uh, entire country pretty sure all of this country right yeah yeah and it, but it wasn't always that way also um right. but that is to say then you go over there and you're like all of a sudden like and we went in that you know that time time span where not all of us were 21 you know how does this work like is it going to be pandemonium you're going to have like eight like high school kids like sitting at the bar like legally uh, no, it turns out maybe those three years of socially drinking in public and having to keep it together may actually, you know, and not always, but like it doesn't complete like society doesn't break down, you know, um, like like a lot of people and the powers that be stateside would have you think that like, well, it's 21 because, you know, otherwise it would be chaos. Well, I, I mean, there are other places. And I think that's just, I think overall, that's a, that's a great mentality. And what I try to, you know, uh, well, I'm such a, such a firm believer in and so lucky and so grateful that we've been able to travel so much as we have, because we've been able to get outside and agree or disagree, have been able to see so many other ways that people live, right? So that your entire life view and your understanding of how you were brought up, what you, the way you saw the world and the people around you saw the world is not the only worldview and is not the only way things can be done successfully, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times you're just like, it's the way it's always been done. That's the best way. That's the way it should be. Right. And there's the, there's a bit of like, you know, you start to be like, oh, there's a complacency built into that, you know, that um, totally. Amsterdam smoking weed, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like everybody does that. And it's crazy the first time you go there and you're like, how is this even legal? And then you're just like, you know what? Maybe one of the best like bar sing-alongs I've straight up walked into a packed like wall to wall bar where everybody at the top of their lungs, just singing wonder wall, like arm in arm. It was straight up out of like a parody movie. And I was like, how's this possible? And then somebody in like in the corner, I think one of the people that was with us, like lit up a cigarette in a cafe where you can only smoke marijuana or drink. Right. And they were like, you got to get out. You can't smoke that in here. Cause it was a cigarette. Right. Like people, like people tobacco. smoking. Yeah. People smoking weed drink. And I was like, they still have their shit together. You know what I mean? Like in that moment, and that's not to say everybody, right? Like I'm sure there are plenty of people who are just like, but what about, you know, like, of course things will always get out of hand, but like that was one of my, and in the same night, to be fair, I did walk, we did walk into another bar and see someone try to stab somebody else. Uh, but <laughs> in that moment, it just worked. And there were people there that I'm sure, you know, like 18, like, what is it? And were able to, in imbibe all of these things and have such a great sense of enjoyment community camaraderie and i was like it can work if everybody just looks out for one another i think so amsterdam's amazing man like i could live there and regardless of the legal pot mushrooms drug whatever like even if that shit wasn't a factor you know like i could that is a beautiful. There's more bicycles than people there, and uh, oh, it's when you were, did you do the canal cruise when you were there? We didn't, but I mean, at this point, we've you know we've walked around. We try to like get around whatever city when we play there a little bit on foot. So yeah, yeah. All right, so th that's a great transition. I mean, geez, man, like I, <laughs> I have two full pages of notes that we haven't touched, which is awesome. That's well, awesome. come back at some point, I guess. That that open invitation. 
Um, but I do want to ask you because the the podcast, the foundation, was built on traveling, and so I always like to at least ask about that. And what I always explain to people, right, when you're on tour, dude, yeah, like maybe you go to Austin, Texas, but that doesn't mean you fucking see anything. You, oftentimes, it's in and out. Like you're you're in the venue, maybe in a hotel, and you're fucking out. So I would love to hear from you, Casey, like maybe uh, specifically abroad, a couple of like maybe your favorite days off or, or moments that you just got to like explore work aside for a little bit. Yeah. You know, I loved actually, so you mentioned Germany earlier and well, our band does not have the same, uh, I'll say this gently, the same robust fan base in mainland Europe as we do stateside, which which can happen and it can happen in every different, um, you know, different way like that across the world. We've always really enjoyed go enjoyed one aspect of going there, uh, specifically in the winter, because, dude, they do Christmas markets like nobody's business. We were in, I think, Köln, which has a very historic cathedral, and we were also there at the right time, I think like late November, maybe early December, and they had it all set up for a Christmas market. And I was just like, honestly, you can be the biggest scrooge in the world and there's no way you will walk through that like those like christmas markets over there in europe and not just be like ooh, i do you kind of want some mold cider that does smell delicious you know um beautiful i mean as we i mean we're a huge a huge food band so we always our unofficial mantra is the food alone is worth the trip so in that way you get a lot of good food and we've had some some great food uh and they just do it right anyway i mean your european hospitality is for i mean you probably i'm sure you've had talk about uh on the podcast before having having guys on that have toured over there but dude it is just unreal and you can't go to europe without gaining weight whether it's from the beer or just from the bread and cheese or just straight up i mean we will walk around you know um, whether it's in Paris, Germany, like it, wherever we are and you'll find like patisseries and like, just like the most wild fucked up treats and bakeries that it's really hard to, to not, at least if you get out and walk around find something that you're just like, if you're ambitious and Europe's not that scary anyway, when it comes to like, you know, it's not like you're eating a, a ton of wild foods, you know? But there's, they just, I mean, they do chocolate so much differently and so well. Switzerland. Switzerland. Yeah, I could go, I could go on about the food for forever, probably. Let me see if I have another. I mean, you know what? I will say I love our time that we've spent in Japan. Everybody says that. I haven't been. Tell me about it. I, I need to keep hearing this so that I get One over there. My favorite, favorite outings. Well, there have been a couple because we've always been like the, the trips that we do and, and the off days over there, we've always had such incredible people taking care of us and, and, and taking us wherever we wanted to go. It's, it's been unreal. How many times have you been there? Out to Masa, um, twice. The one main thing that sticks out to me where it was, we were in Tokyo and when we went and saw what is, you're a sports guy, so you'll get this reference, I think, what is the equivalent of like the Subway series, like the Mets-Yankees series, like two teams, but it was the Yakult Swallows and the Tokyo Giants. 
And so it was a subway series. So two Tokyo teams facing off. And as ba- as a baseball fan, so we were, you know, we were all excited. And obviously that pastime and a ton of incredible, you know, the lore of Japanese, some Japanese players like coming, coming over to the MLB. Uh, so we were just excited to do that. It was a beautiful ballpark, beautiful night. You can see the city in the background, but the way they do so many of like the traditional, like um, in the way that every, you know, every team has their own chance, their own, whatever. This felt more like the energy of like the most amped up high school football game, but in a ballpark, like they had supporter sections. If you've ever, so if you watch, uh, are you a soccer guy at all? Not, not really. I mean, I'll watch like the world cup when that comes on. So in soccer, it's typical. You'll have like supporter sections of each fans. And a lot of time they'll bring like, you know, their own, like kind of like drums and, and kind of keep them going and do, and do all the chants like throughout the game. It's straight up. They had in the outfield bleachers of this ballpark effectively to like, you know, not conventional marching bands, but like supporter bands. So that you would have them going when the other team, kind of like a high school football game, where when your team is on defense, the other team's band, like your your team's band is trying to play to fuck up the offense, right? I was like, holy cow. I was like, this is wild. Like they don't have this in like Major League Baseball. Like that would never be allowed. And then like the home run chance, like just – being taken by surprise all of a sudden an entire stadium has like umbrellas that kind come out of nowhere and they're just like i was like where did these come from <laughs> what a just such a cool day so um just like like college football i think in the south you're from philly yeah we're we're all from like the philly area but i, I mean, actually I, now, uh, is, i've never gone this long in a podcast and not even brought that up <laughs> go, ahead, go ahead sorry no i uh, know we were talking about college football dude and i so i just moved down to atlanta now I am like in the heart of like Georgia Bulldogs country. It, oh, what it made you move there? Uh, family, honestly, my you know my girlfriend's family is is from down here, and we've always talked about it. And I'm lucky enough to have the luxury that I can kind of go anywhere and do 95 percent of what I do like this now. You know, with working with other clients and the band and, and getting stuff done. So uh, very lucky in that way. So you know, call it a, a nice little final shove from a pandemic, but, uh, That's you know, beautiful though. you mentioned clients. So what, I don't know. You want to talk about that? We like, can. I mean, we, I mean, I feel like as long, as long as you're, as long as you've got the time, I'm happy to, uh, go wherever you would like. I mean, we've already, we've already treaded a lot of ground. <laughs> Dude, it's funny. Like I feel like we, we covered some, some, some shit. But we also, I literally haven't touched my notes like at all. Sometimes it's best to go off script. Uh, totally. Well, I always have notes and oftentimes I don't touch them or, but like, I kind of have to pee. Let's uh, take a break and then we'll finish up. We'll like 10 minutes. We'll see if we can get through some of the questions. Oh, good and idea. Great. All right. Yo, head above water this year, boys. <laughs> Hey, there we go. Dude, sorry about that, and thank you. I feel like a million bucks. All right, so I I have a few fan questions that we should hit on for sure. You down with that? Yeah, let's do it. 
All right, so let's see here. Let's start with, uh, I can never read my own writing, so bear with me here. Preston Gazetta, what is your favorite gas station and or food stop on tour? Ooh, wow. Perfect honestly, transition. Honestly, it, it really is. It feels like they're setting me up for the quintessential Sheets versus Wawa battle. Uh, I won't take the bait because Wawa will win. Also, uh, now maybe the best thing about Florida and one of the few redeeming qualities that I do love uh, is that they also have Wawa down there. It skips a ton of East Coast states and just showed up in Florida. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but when we were down there in Fest, I was like, shit, we can stop at Wawa on the way. So. Wow is the one you can like go up to the computers and like order stuff. Yeah, yeah. and Sheets does that too. Yeah. I mean, a lot of you know. Now it's funny. It's like in, if you're not from Philly uh, or like the you know like Eastern Pennsylvania, you don't get it. My girlfriend is always just like, you know, it's a gas station. I was like, they before they put pumps in, it was just a convenience store and a deli where you would walk <laughs> up to the counter and order like cold cuts and a and a sandwich. And it's just wait, funny. wait. How do you know that history? Uh, well, be, I mean, because I was around because they only started turning the, all of them into super wawas with gas stations in the last like 15 years, you know, um, I, were, I had no idea, dude. Okay. Yeah. But it is funny. Everybody's like, everybody's it's like, you guys are lording out over a gas station. I was like, ah, it just, no, it's bomb. You're right. No, it, but it's good. And also like, but sheets like full, like to be completely, uh, fair sheets is also great. I'm, I'm never going to be you know, a hard ass when it comes to picking one or the other. It's like, if I find either of those two options, incredible. However, uh, I guess you could also extrapolate it into, and I won't belabor <laughs> the answer even more, but I guess you could go to the, and I'm curious what your answer is on this as well. The like flying J loves TA, you know, TA kind of like tier that are truly like gas station adjacent, but also have their own, like, you know, um their own vibe i i feel like i'm a flying j uh flying j guy to be honest this might sound bad and i've never actually done like a, a bus tour where i don't have to drive and i drive a lot dude so dude, i just fucking pull over where like i pull over and i get out i don't know where i am i walk into a fucking thing i'm like yeah whatever i fill up the tank I just walk in, I find a fucking bathroom, I piss. <laughs> you know what I mean, dude? I get some snacks. I, I usually don't even know where I am. I know that's a, a lame answer. No, dude, you get to enough parts of this country and you can't, it's like, that's the, this is your option. This is your option for the next 200 miles. I will say, um, what I noticed about Furnace Fest, uh, I'm in this Facebook group uh, for, specifically for Furnace Fest. It's the most diehard loyal and like awesome group of people man and it's like five thousand people in this group dude so they're all like they all seem to be obsessed is it bucky's or buckeyes or but that's the one i was like as soon as i said all they three all of have them. the shirts and like i don't yeah. no. i don't know if i've been to one i probably have and just didn't even notice the the beaver nugs are good um wait what, what, was it literally no. beaver nuggets uh, I think it's like a little like carrot, like candy, like 
caramel popcorn like whatever snack or something um oh, okay okay even though it's, but uh yeah no i mean our our drivers and like a lot of good friends love and will i have seen uh people lord out over bucky's i will not i'll never lord out over any like gas station chain necessarily i will say that wawa i've seen some great wawa merch that was bomb dude i will say like you go up you just like dude you just i'm sorry to cut you off but like you just go up to the computer you punch in what you want and i think they were ahead of like you know you go to like especially in europe every mcdonald's or whatever or panera bread even now around here like right but wawa might have been ahead of the game on that i'd like to think so but also admittedly i am biased so you know no i think uh, you're right dude but yeah you just punch in what you want and the food is bomb even though it's a gas station but please go ahead anyway yeah no that's that's pretty much it uh bucky's is good worth the trip if you see it but also um that's that's my final gas station answer if it has to be a gas (laughs) (laughs) right on man i have one more fan question we're gonna squeeze in okay Bring it on. Ryan Lonis, my buddy here. I met him down at Furnace Fest. Great dude. Um, Southern Hospitality. This guy's the man. Um, which album means more to you? The Upsides, Suburbia, or The Greatest Generation, and why? Oh, wow. Of those three. Oh, wow. Which one means more to me? I think I will say Suburbia, but the why is definitely important here. I love all those records. We wouldn't be the band we are without any of them. They each taught us a lot about ourselves and did a lot of uh, incredible things for our career. So uh, I I love them all. And musically, there are things on each one of them that I'm proud of. And there are things that now me 10 plus years later would probably would definitely do differently. You know, I think I say Suburbia, if for no other reason, other than the fact that that was the first time we did a record where we traveled to California and spent, you know, about a month out there. And that was the first time we worked with who is now a lifelong friend of ours, a uh, producer by the name of Steve Evitz, who has also, who not only did Greatest Generation, he also did No Closer to Heaven. So he's been in the family and did Suburbia. So he's been in the, the Wonder Years family for, for quite some time now. And we've learned a lot from him. And he's a genuine soul. He's an original East Coaster. So uh, I think that is one thing that we got on with him right off the mark. And he's done a lot of those old school, old lifetime saves the day records when he was back on the East Coast. So he he gets it. And I think that was the first one of the first things he's like, man, you guys are so Northeast. I just I forget how much I miss that, like horrible like sarcastic like sense of humor you know and um and we we gave him i I think have on a regular like every couple year basis in some way given him his fill while he's been out in california but uh suburbia was the first one that we went out there and did that with him and i think i look at that as an incredible turning point in our career and our growth as musicians and, and and people, you know, getting to spend that time out there. And I have some really fond memories of that time. It was, you know, just California in December. We skipped the Northeast winter. That was the first time that I was like, holy shit, I can just, just get out of Philly in January and just go live in shorts on a beach. And I love it for that reason. And I'm very proud of the record too. I think that was, uh, you know, a step forward. And I, I hope that every record we do in its own way are, are all steps, you know, forward and evolving. But that was the first one that we did out there with Steve. That to me 
puts it in a different category than either upsides or greatest gen. You know, if I had to pick one, which I guess for the sake of this question, I do. So it's a great answer, dude. Yeah. All right. Two final questions for me. I always close it out with these questions. Yes. One proudest moment of your musical career, Casey. I think the the first time so you grow up and you have these venues that you go and see every fucking band that you're obsessed with as a kid right and you have these venues that become this benchmark of like these are where the real bands play and in philly the electric factory which is no longer called the electric factory is now called franklin music hall but it is still there and i'm still very i'm still happy it is still there because i think it's an institution as far as music venues go in that city i think it was the first time we uh we sold that place out. We had played on a couple, we had supported there, you know, on a couple tours early on in our career. And those were huge, hugely powerful moments for our band as well. Make no mistake, just getting on that stage and seeing that from the other side was wild. And we've had this also uh, with every venue in this city all the way up, you know, from the smallest, I mean, getting on stage and playing at First Unitarian Church, which is uh, an institution in its own way in the like Philly punk hardcore and DIY uh, community to the TLA and but the electric factory was one where the sheer magnitude of it and being on that stage, you know, was incredible every time. But the first day I still remember, you know, walking in, you know, up the ramp in the back door and walking on the stage and being like, holy shit, we're going to fill this place. And like, we're going to fill this place. And that to me, that'll, that'll always be a really fond memory and realization where I, I, um, I guess I had also had in the past some conversation with somebody that was like, dude, enjoy the moments, like take a pause, like pause, especially when you're at a point in your career. And I've seen, you know, windows now with other bands that I'm just like, you guys are growing real fast. Yeah, I see it. I, I, I see it because I, did it and knew it and have known so many bands that, you know, have it. So it's just like, hold on, but also like make sure to remind yourself to check in and just like take a minute and let it sink in. And that, for that reason, I remember getting on that stage and uh, heeding whoever's advice that was at the time and really letting it sink in for a bit. And I'm sure all the guys in my band did. And uh, we still, I still have a, one of my favorite pictures of all of us in that show. And that will be like the, fucking like sandlot picture that i think i remember when i'm like you know uh god forbid i make it to like 70 80 years old um that you know that is that kind of memory from that um from that show so it would, it would probably have to be that man because i just think of that picture and i think of where we were as kids and and how exciting that was and where it was like it felt so surreal but at the same time it was the moment where you knew all of it actually like was real that it wasn't just like am i pretending that we're like a real band, you know, but it, the floor is going to drop out. And I still think in some way, I mean, it's so funny. We are the, uh, and we've always said this, we are the people who are just like, feel like any day we're going to wake up and someone's going to be like, yeah, nobody cares anymore. Uh, it was a good run. Nobody cares. And that was like one moment where I was like, man, maybe I think enough people do care that this might be a thing for a minute. <laughs> so that, that's, uh, that's probably, probably my proudest moment. I mean, there've been obviously a ton, you know, and, and we've played larger shows than that since. And, but it's, um, you know, the weight of it with time and place, I think really, really puts it there for me. I think, I mean, that's a great answer. And maybe you've done bigger things, obviously you've done bigger shows, but that was that holy shit moment for you. And, um, you know, in your hometown, that was a big deal. Uh, 
I like what you said about like you feel like the floor could drop out at any moment because I think that's what keeps you in check, dude. Because if if you didn't realize that, like, dude, you you can't take shit for granted, man. Yeah. Um, I I recently had uh, Jake Brennan on here. He he hosts the podcast Disgraceland. Um, it's a huge podcast. That he also was a singer of this Boston hardcore band Cast Iron Hike. And this guy, dude, he. Long story short, he runs one of the biggest podcasts in the world and one of the biggest co- podcast companies in the world as far as like music and true crime. And I, the guy is just crushing it right now. And I said to him, I'm like, how, how do you, like the guy has like five active podcasts and, and is also funding these other, po- I'm like, how are you doing this? And first of all, he gives credit to his team. He's like, listen, I got the best team in the world. He, but, right. he goes, he, but he goes, listen, man, my whole life, I've been like just scrapping and grinding and like, like, you know, like finally something happened and I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, like I could wake up one day and it could be gone. So I just have this, this drive to just like take advantage of it while you can, because you don't know what you got till it's gone. So a hundred percent. And you know what? I'll, I'll end that by saying two things. One that I think, the trajectory I talked about trajectory earlier in the conversation and our trajectory has been that of a decidedly slow and steady uphill creep, which I think has been something that a lot of people that have been in this business and industry have often taken note and commented on that we are now in terms of metrics or whatever, like fan appreciation, anything that you could possibly measure it, the more successful than we've ever been and feel that way in the way that our fans feel about us and that they haven't forgotten about us and that, you know, they're still here caring. And as long as they're here caring, we will still continue to show up and show them how much that means to us. And to your point and what you mentioned about your other guests on the show who has you know, recently had success, but has just lived a life of, of grind of that grind and hustle. I, I love this analogy and I'll share it too. It's, it's from, uh, I believe it's from that book, Atomic Habits, actually James Clear. Uh, he's a phenomenal author, but the idea that if you sit an ice cube in a room and the temperature is, you know, below freezing, right. Increased at one degree from zero up to two degrees, three degrees, nothing happens, four degrees, 20 degrees, nothing happens, increments, right? 30 degrees, nothing happens, Fahrenheit, obviously. 31 degrees, still nothing, 32 degrees. All of a sudden, at that one degree, you just start seeing it melt and unravel. And That is the perfect idea of how, why I like to say it's like, you got to measure by trajectory, not where you're at, not whether or not you've seen anything melt yet, because you're getting there and you're getting exponentially closer so often. I also, for some reasons, don't love that analogy because I think it it, it puts you in a goal-based mindset where I'd rather be in a progressed and system-based mindset, because I also think, you know, not everything gets unlocked like great. We've, you know, played the electric factory and sold it out. Like we've arrived. It's all easy now. You know, he would also probably be the first to tell you that, you know, in terms of the podcast world and building that business and, and trying to figure it out. But yeah, it's like, he's spent his whole life building a mindset and an approach 
to working hard, figuring things out and believing in himself and believing that he could. And, and all of that work is, you know, nothing's an overnight success in that regard. It's like anybody that says it, it's just a blatant lie, or they don't realize that it's like, yeah, no, just because that was the first day you took that swing doesn't mean that you weren't like working those muscles, the other, like, you know, the, the previous five decades, you know, to be able to swing that, you know, that one time. So, um, I don't know that, I think that's a great, it's a great example. I think that's a great thing to remember. Dude, you're a smart dude. You really are. Well, that's a great transition because so the last question that I always ask, um, and you hit the nail on the head without even knowing Jake, the last question I always ask is, if you could give advice to a younger version of yourself, like you, you said you're 34. Yeah. 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 Okay. So uh, uh, whatever, 15, 20 years ago, when you first started out as a musician, I always ask this at the end and I asked Jake and do you, before you answer, I'll, t I'll just tell you what he said. Cause you just said it without even knowing him bet on yourself. He said, like, show up and bet on yourself. I'll take the baton from him because he also sounds like a pretty smart guy and a cool one at that. I'll take it one step further and I will say what I would say to my younger self, even though it is decidedly hard to do this because it goes against everything, especially as a kid. And you, and you can't understand it. I can't fault myself at that time for not understanding it. And I understand that it is one of those things that is probably lost on youth because you are so wrapped up in trying to fit in and so consumed with trying to not uh, do this. Uh, and everything around you says, I don't want to draw attention to myself. I, you know, I want to be correct and do things the right way. My advice would be honestly bet on yourself and start fucking up, start making mistakes, go make as many fucking mistakes as you can because that's honestly the actual way to learn you know this you've been doing this show how do you learn and get better at it because you listen to yourself and you're like damn i was just rambling there or like damn it you know what i mean whatever it is that we like do as a musician you're like how do you go out and make mistakes guess what uh you hit a wrong note or sing a wrong note you're like great i'm gonna now double down on making sure that that doesn't happen at the next show or go out and hindsight is always going to be 2020 and that's the only time you're going to get that kind of clarity is when you've done something and put it behind you and let it go that you can turn around and then learn from it and for me um you know i'm not in any way the first person to put this kind of advice forward but it's also something that i would try so vehemently to go back maybe i would listen to my older to myself a little bit and trust that uh and trust that me if i couldn't trust myself at that time to go out and say, listen, any sense of embarrassment or things that you think, you know, it will prevent you from doing or getting ahead, the people that will actually end up being decidedly the most successful at what they are doing are the ones that found a way to disarm the fear of making a mistake and are the ones that found a way to steer in. And every time a, a mistake showed up, they didn't see it as a reason to go run and hide and be embarrassed and you know, hit a roadblock and, and set them three steps back. They welcomed it and saw it as, oh man, 
That's awesome. Now I know that's not how you do that. Wow, that's incredible. And you only get that by doing it. You don't get that by rehearsing it or th or thinking through it or visualizing things. You get it by going out and actually playing the game. And in so many ways, I waited for a lot of time. I mean, uh, you know, we mentioned I ha have a podcast now, the record process. It's just like that was something that for years I was like, you know, since podcasts started coming up and, and um, started seeing what people were doing with that space, I was like, I was like, oh, man, I feel like I'd really enjoy that, you know. But um, there were always a, lot, a number of excuses where I was like, ah, and what, what's the what's the hook going to be? You know what? Like, who's to say anybody would give a shit anyway? Uh, does it really do we need another podcast? You know, kind of things like that. And it wasn't until I started doing it that I was like, man, now I actually feel like all that time I spent on thinking why I shouldn't or if I did how it would pan out or how it would do it it was all it was all kind of not wasted time because you know there, there's lessons you learn in preparing for sure but there none of them will pay the kind of growth dividends that going out and actually taking that first step does there's an art to it and honestly i you know i know some people in, the, in my life and i'm sure you do too that are just the compulsive have no idea what they're doing but they are their their move is just to take that step is just to go and just fuck it up and just look like but they're the ones that after they stumble all those times guess what then when they get up that like third fourth fifth time they know a whole lot more about how to not stumble and then the other person that has a great head start and comes, you know, and is maybe like sprinting from behind the start line and they're, you know what I mean? Like, and they're just going to hit that line and just eat shit, but you're going to be the one that you stumbled and maybe you're going slower at first, but you ended up, you know, cruising at altitude a lot sooner. And I, dude, that's, that's what I, I would tell myself truly don't be afraid to go try things and make mistakes and, and look at each mistake as one step closer um, as like a tool in your toolbox you know uh we I was, I was on another podcast earlier tracking an episode actually and we were talking about uh like reference material right like things as like a mixer and engineer other songs that you pull up to you know to tune your speakers see what the room sounds like and you know get a better idea of like how how your mix is shaping up. And one of the biggest things is, and I, and I loved sharing this with the guests we had on because um, they brought it up and I, I keyed right in on it. I was like, dude, also knowing what you don't like or what doesn't work about like having references where you're like, yo, honestly, I love this song. The master, the top end is just way too much in all you know what i mean like and having opinions like that and i think that that's like the make a mistake go know that like hey guess what guess what mistake you probably won't make again or you're way less likely to that one and then you're going to be a lot more deadly you know years down the road if you've made all those than somebody that like has been reading up and studying up but has never actually gotten in the ring you know so yeah man that, that that's I guess what I tell myself I take uh, I take where he went with it and, and continue on with that well, that's brilliantly worded man and uh, I will say it's funny like you mentioned like being the one to take your time and like do it right I'm kind of slow man and I, I've learned that about myself and accepted that about myself in really recent years I'm like smart but I'm slow if that makes sense I will eat shit like I will come out the gate running and I will fucking eat shit. But 
eventually I'll slow down back up and figure it out. But it's almost like I have to like, even snowboarding, dude, I've broken my arm in half. I've broken my shoulder off of my, the whatever, the rest of the humerus. I've broken my foot. But now like, I know what I need to do. <laughs> this is a weird example, but um, it's not, I don't the, know. It's almost uh, like, like I, like, I just like, I put, I like almost torture myself. I have to put myself like just through like, like the worst of the worst a lot of times. And, and uh, it's a slow build and it's a brutal, it's a, it's everything. I don't know. I just always feel like I, I do things like the, the hardest way possible, even still the way I edit this podcast. Like I still do it like the most archaic and difficult way. I figure it out, I, I guess. Yeah. And you, but you're taking steps, you know, so that, I mean, that, <laughs> that matters, right? Like we're back to that. It's just like, you're not trying, you're not sitting around thinking about, uh, or I mean, we'll truly bring it full circle to close on this, I guess. You're not overanalyzing what the best approach to editing the podcast is and which ways this way might be better than the other, but then you lose this, but then this is, you know, more effective and more time, you know, consuming. No, you just get in there and you edit it, you know? Um, and there's so much to be said for that because so many people will never just do it. And that's the, in the business world, they have uh, the idea of MVP, which is minimum viable product, trying to get something to market to see how people respond to it. And in, Art, music, biz, everything, that to me is such an important idea to understand because with music, say you're in a band, right? I, I talk about this a lot and, we, you know, with clients that are struggling to try to, you know, gain any sort of ground in what they're doing with a project, think about the smallest piece of what could you go do right now? What could you put out? Example for a podcast. It doesn't have to be perfect on episode one. That's actually kind of the charm of it, right? Figuring out what your flow is. Comedians call this writing on stage. They test out a joke, see if it works. And maybe the joke doesn't work, but maybe some sort of like heckle and then retort actually becomes the joke. And they know that that worked organically, right? Um, they test out material like that. They're not sitting there because you, you literally can't tell if something works or not until you put it out in front into an audience and see how they respond. So that is, I think, a really huge lesson. And it's all about go make the mistake, put the minimum viable product out, whether that's one song, right? Finish the song, also good, ship the work, don't pine over it forever and being perfect. What's way less important about it being perfect is that it goes out and that you learn who likes it, who doesn't like it, what they think, what they, you know, um, how they interact with it, because uh, that's going to inform and help you make exponentially better choices and inform your art on the next song than just spending way too much time pining over every little detail in your own head, right? So. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we got there, <laughs> you yeah. know, but uh, you're right, man. All right, dude. Well, Casey, what can we plug, man? Yeah, I talked about the record process. So we just finished up, uh, actually today, season one just wrapped up the last episode. So anybody that's interested in a, in a kind of linear walk through the entire creative process from like conception of some sort of idea and inspiration for a song 
all the way through pre-production, tracking, mixing, mastering, right? And letting it go. That's that's what we kind of um, spent this season in 20 episodes doing. And I think it's cool. We had a lot of fun doing it. Hopefully some people get some, some interesting uh, resources out of it. Or maybe if you're searching for clarity on a certain point, maybe there's like, you know, one or two episodes there for you. But moving forward, we're starting production on season two, which is super exciting. And like I mentioned, I just um, I won't give anything away, but had an incredible conversation earlier today uh, that will be part of that season. And the list of great conversations keeps on going. So I'm excited to have that see the light of day probably uh, in a couple months from now. So look out for that and follow us along at that, obviously. And we obviously, much like you and your um, your show here, like love feedback from anybody if they have a guest or suggestion for who they'd like to see on it as far as a guest. Open to all of those and, and trying to keep the conversation going. As far as Wonder Year stuff, thewonderyearsband.com, anything that's up there. We have some tour dates coming up. 22 uh, looks much brighter than the previous two years on that front as well. And a lot of really cool, exciting things that I can't talk too much about. I guess we officially have announced that we did finish a record this summer that will also be seeing the light of day. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And beyond that, uh, anything studio related, you can hit up my own website, which is caseycavalier.com or uh, my studio website, which is True Level Studio. And um, uh, through either of those, uh, like I mentioned in, uh, a couple times on this podcast, I've also started doing some uh, some artist development con- uh, consulting and kind of coaching one on one coaching sessions where I have the time to, to kind of help, you know, bands and artists figure out what they're good at and what they how they can improve in a meaningful way whether it's you know gaining fans or understanding why the fans that they have aren't really um responding you know the way they expected to what they're doing and everything in between so do you do that remotely as well so you don't have to be in like atlanta right no no yeah that's that's all done remotely and that was something you know that i kind of i started doing with studio clients more just in person we'd get to the end of a record or ep and um you know we'd uh, they'd ask questions and uh, about releasing it or be unsure of what you know what the best next step to take was or, or where you know where they were at uh, in their journey and I kind of took that and when we had to shut down for the pandemic I said well at least I can still kind of do this in a remote level if I can't go into the studio I can still do this with some of them and and kind of started opening it up to uh, to other artists and people and yeah now I've got a lot of people in in time zones have some really incredible people all over the world that make my week much more interesting and uh extremely fulfilling so yeah uh with the little time that i have left i try to try to do some of that where it where it feels right so wow man you're a busy man dude i i appreciate your time the links to everything that you just talked about will be in the description of this podcast episode so just go down there and uh dude casey this has been an honor brother it's been a pleasure man thanks so much for having me this was so much fun dude thank you What's bad this year is the goal And I'm not sure what I'm looking for A voice on a phone that you rarely answer anymore I give you love, give you love I spent this year as the ghost And I'm not sure where home is anymore Oh 
Let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yes. Casey Cavalier of the Wonder Years in the record process. Thank you so much, brother. What a smart dude. I swear, like, just editing this podcast, I, I felt like I learned more. I like, because we, we actually spoke back in, like, November. November 1st. So this is, like, four months later. I forgot how awesome the talk was until I went back and edited it. I was like, holy shit, this dude's smart. I forgot. Anyway, Casey, thanks so much, man. Open invitation. Got to get you back sometime. You know, we'll talk about some more stuff in life and stuff. All right. Once again, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, thanks so much. Make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And what's super helpful, if you want to go above and beyond, all right, if you got the iPhone in particular, the little uh, purple square, the app, it's called Podcasts. Click on that. Look up my show, Two Week Notice Podcast. Hit subscribe and then scroll all the way down and give me a five-star written review. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. Now, have no fear if you don't have an iPhone because you can also give me five stars on Spotify. If you want me to love you forever, you can do both. And I will be extremely grateful for that. It's super helpful. And hit me up on Instagram, all right? All the links to everything, including my Instagram, is in the description of this podcast episode. Shoot me a message and, um, dude, I'll gladly send. I got like pins and stickers. I might even have a couple of shirts left. So hit me up. I send the shit out for free. You know, just I appreciate anyone who listens. Maybe, maybe tell a friend. Come on. All right. Let's close this one out. This was a long one. Thank you so much if you're still with me. I really, really appreciate your time. All right. I'm going to go snowboarding. I'm still bleeding. Fuck. Until next time. I love you all. Poise.